I just want to say it's been an encouragement to be here at Berean Baptist Church. And when I took off from Florida, I, I didn't really know my geography, but I guess I crossed the country, like the whole country, and got here, and it was really, really cold. And I uh, wasn't really ready for that because we don't have warm clothes in Florida. But I'll say this, it's been an encouragement to be here the last couple of days and to be with your pastor and his family. And I'm so glad that Bethany and Jordan were in town uh, as well and got to meet them and see them. And just excited about the fact that here's a church thousands of miles away that's doing exactly what we're doing in St. Petersburg, Florida. And it's exciting to think about the fact that someday we'll all be together. And the church will be reunited, and uh, we'll spend eternity with our Lord. And uh, I'm just excited to be here. I've been threatening Pastor Reno that I'm going to come taste his cooking for about a year and a half. And it finally came to fruition, so I'm excited about that. We had a great meal yesterday. And to be honest, I'm, not sur- I'm kind of surprised he wasn't bigger, as good as he cooks. But he, he, he cooked this whole meal, and he hardly ate any of it. Um, but it was just an exciting time to be here. And I'm just thankful for the messages we've already heard, the songs that we've heard today. And I'll say this, I've been privileged to work on staff at Community Bible Baptist Church for 18 years, and um, one of my jobs there is we're always looking to hire. We have about 23 people that are on staff right now, and it's been exciting to watch your staff. And to be honest, who we're looking for to hire are the ladies that are on your staff, the gentlemen that are on your staff, and it's just exciting to see um, what God is doing here, and I'm excited that God has called them here, and just uh, it's neat to see what God is doing. James chapter number four, I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight. I know you're probably excited about your business meeting coming up, and so I don't want to be too long this evening, but in James chapter number four, I believe there's a passage of scripture that will help us with some things in our life. I believe that there is a there's, a, there's an ingredient or a recipe here uh, for our life that will help us in James chapter number 4. I want to give you really just three main points tonight, and if you would take notes, I believe this. I believe that you don't always need every message that you hear right now, but I do believe every message that the Lord has, um, you will need someday. And the weakest ink is stronger than the best memory. And so I encourage you to write these things down this evening as we get started. And we're going to look at James chapter number 4. We'll read a few verses. We're not going to read our whole text because we're going to go over it again. But in James chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust, that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight a war, and ye cannot have, because ye ask not. Ye ask not, and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that it may be consumed upon your own lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore... He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. 
This evening, I want to give you this recipe that I believe will help you with something that's very important to you. There's something that's very important to each of us in this room. And for a few moments, if you wanted to title this message, you could just title One Life. Each of us have been given one life, unless you believe in reincarnation, which I hope that nobody here on a Sunday night at Brian Baptist Church believes in reincarnation. Each of us get one life. And for a few moments, I want to look at this passage of Scripture and show you some things that I believe will help us as we're on this journey called life. That will help us in our spiritual life begin to realize what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live our life as a Christian. The first thing that I wrote down here as we look at this passage is we see warnings for life. In the first five verses, we see five warnings that we are given for life. The first warning is very simple and it's found right there in verse number one. It says, from whence come wars and fighting among you. I want you to understand this evening that this wasn't written to children. This was written to the early church. And it was, this was written and put into the Word of God, and it's there for us tonight. From whence come wars and fightings among you. It's probably the perfect passage right before a business meeting. Amen. <laughs> From whence come wars and fighting among you? Boy, the first thing that I wrote down this evening as we look at warnings for life, I wrote down these two words, stop fighting. Stop fighting. I have a 7 and a 10-year-old, uh, Olivia. And Madison, and they're great kids, and rarely do they ever fight. But every once in a while, they'll be in a separate room for me and my wife, and all of a sudden, we will hear something. It'll sound like a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat. There's a fight that's going on, and it's just on like Donkey Kong. And uh, all of a sudden, um, they're in a, this battle. And this passage right here isn't really written to children. This is written to us. This is written to the church. And the Bible tells us that we're not to be fighting. Adults, church members, Christians, we must stop fighting amongst each other. The Bible does not say that we're to be strifing together. It says we're to be striving together. I think about the apostles. I think about the disciples. And I think about those that were closest to Jesus. And I believe this as I read the scriptures. I believe that there was some competition. I believe that there was some struggles even in the 12 uh, with Jesus. And, and in John chapter number 20 verses 1 through 9 it's the story of when Mary Magdalene runs to the tomb and she sees the tomb there and then they run and they tell Simon Peter. And it's found in John chapter number 20. And the whole time, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never calls himself John. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so they get the news that Jesus is no longer in the tomb and John is telling the story and he says that there's basically a race to the tomb. And as he's telling this story, he keeps, he keeps referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then he makes sure that everybody knows for all of eternity, because it's written in Scripture, that he beat Peter to the tomb. He says it twice, that he was the one that got there first. Later in John chapter number 21, we see Peter, and Peter is talking, and he begins to ask Jesus what these other disciples are going to do for him. What is this man going to do for you? And what is this man going to do for you? And Jesus said unto him, What is that to thee? Follow me. We can get really distracted about everybody else and what everybody else is doing. And we begin to start to have some competition. We begin to have some conflict even in our church. Boy, this first thing that we see when it comes to our life, we need to stop fighting. The second thing we see there, and it's found in the next verse, 
or the same verse, stop lusting. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and ye war and yet ye have not because ye ask not. Boy, to stop lusting. You can look right. You can be in church and have all the right appearance and uh, carry the right Bible and do all the right things and be far, far from the Lord. Boy, you can be having things that are going on in your mind, things in your entertainment. Boy, we've got to be careful what we listen to, what kind of things that we're watching, because all of those things affect you. We're told, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We've got to be careful because there's a war that's going on in us. There's fleshly desires and there's lust and all of these things. And the first thing we see is a recipe of, boy, this is a warning for life. Well, we've got to stop fighting. We've got to stop lusting. But then we need to stop being selfish. Look at that next verse, verse number three. Ye ask and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Even your prayers are all about what you want. Lord, help this to go smoothly. Lord, help this to go just right. Lord, I don't want those trials and tribulations that were offered this morning. I want to choose that smooth path and I want everything to go the way that I want. And even our prayers begin to become selfish, doing what we want when we want to do it. I believe John Getch said it best when he said this. He said, there are only two things on the shelf. You're either serving God or serving self. And everybody this last week, if you were here last Sunday night, you've had 168 hours. And all of those 168 hours, you either chose to serve God or chose to serve self. Everyone in this room is using their life to either serve and glorify God or serve and glorify themselves. The end time begins to describe what people are going to be like, and there's a whole list, but it starts off with, for men shall be lovers of themselves. This should not be the description of us, children of God. The next warning for life we see here in our passage is we need to stop being unfaithful. Unfaithful, and in verse number four it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. These are very strong verses, very powerful words right here. I believe if we went around the room this evening and began to have a survey, and we went from here, we came all the way over here, and then we began to ask people, would you like to be entitled and would you like to be called an enemy of God? Well, I believe the answer would be a a resounding no, that we don't want to be an enemy with God. But yet, if we're not careful, we'll allow things that come to us and lure us into the world. And we begin to do things which would cause us to be unfaithful to the things that we're supposed to be faithful to, the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Proverbs chapter number 20 verse 6, most men will proclaim every man his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? Well, when it comes to this warning for life, there's some things that we've got to make sure that aren't in our life. We've got to make sure that we're not fighting and bickering and doing all those things that would cause uh, dissension in the church. We need to make sure that our thoughts are right and the things that we're allowing into our life are right so we're not falling for those desires and those lusts. But we need to make sure that it's not all about us and that we are here to serve the Almighty God. 
But we see another warning for life. Stop being unfaithful. But this last one, stop living in the flesh. Verse number 5 says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain that the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? You say, what's it like to live in the flesh? How do I know if I'm living in the flesh? The flesh fights. The flesh lusts. The flesh is selfish. And the flesh is unfaithful to the things of God. So this evening we see warnings for life, but number two, we see wisdom for life. We see wisdom for life, and it's in verse number seven and following. The Bible begins to shift gears here a little bit, and it goes from warnings, and it begins to give us some wisdom. Submit yourselves to God. That word submit means to yield or give way to another. Not my way anymore, not my timing, and not the things that I desire, but I'm giving way to the things that God would have for my life. We sing the songs, and I love the songs that we sing, and some great songs even tonight. And we sing songs like, My life I give to you, O Lord. Use me, I pray. Do we believe that? Do we practice that as we go throughout our week? My life I give to you, O Lord. Use me. To the one who gave and gives us life, we're to turn it back over to him to use. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Are you surrendered and submitted to his will for your life? The Christian way is laid out for us. and We're told what to do. The Bible is pretty clear and I love that it gives lists like this. Whenever my wife has a bunch of things for me to do, I kind of just stop her and I'm saying, write it all down on a list. Because I like to be able to go back over to that list and scratch those things off as I do them. The Bible here has given us this list. It's given us this list of warnings. It's given us this list of wisdom. Then it tells us a plan. It says if we die daily, we die from our will, and we submit to His. The second thing we see under the wisdom for life, not only submit to God, but resist the devil. It's all found there in verse number 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And then there's an amazing statement that comes after this. And he will flee from you. Can I say this this evening? We spend so much time fighting each other when we're supposed to be fighting the flesh and the devil. That's who we're supposed to be resisting. That's who we're supposed to be giving difficulty. Those fiery darts of temptation and deception. We combat the devil with Scripture by being in the Word, by meditating on the Word of God. When we resist the devil and we do not fall to temptation and we begin to fight back, the Bible says that he flees from us. Here's an amazing thought for you this evening. The devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. So he's coming and he's attacking and he's tempting. But boy, as soon as you begin to resist the devil, the Bible says he's gone. He's off to, off to bother somebody else. The devil did not make you do it. You did it. He would be long gone if you would have resisted. Number three this evening, for wisdom for life, we not only resist the devil, but the Bible says draw nigh to God. It's probably one of the greatest passages in the scripture here as you look at verse number eight, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Pastor Reno, I think a lot of times we get this backwards. We submit to the devil and resist the Lord. We submit to the devil and resist the Lord. 
We say, why in the world is my life not, not going as smoothly as I'd like? Or why, why do things just seem as hard as they can be and difficult? Well, we're submitting to the wrong thing and we're following the wrong, the, the wrong ingredients. And the Bible says here that if we will submit to the Lord, submit to God, resist the devil, and draw nigh to God. Every time we take a step toward Him, He takes a step toward us. Possibly one of the saddest verses in the Bible it's found in Matthew. We sing songs like this, Nearer my God to thee. But as we search ourselves, there's a passage in the scripture in Matthew that's very convicting. It's very disturbing. Do we really love? Do we really desire a relationship with the Lord? Do we really have a relationship with the Lord? Because the Bible says in Matthew that there's going to be a time where there will be those that stood before him, that stand before the Lord and they say, Lord, Lord, we've done all of these things in your name. And the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Even in ministry, we can, we can get to the place where we're doing all of these four things for the Lord, but we have no relationship with the Lord. So how do we draw nigh to him? We spend time with him. We seek to know him. I love what the Apostle Paul said. And the Apostle Paul said that his greatest desire was to know him. In the power of its resurrection. Everything else in his life was counted as dumb. We get into the pages of scripture and we ask him to speak to us and we speak to him and we acknowledge him in all of our ways and he begins to direct our paths and direct our lives. Number four, as we look at wisdom for life, how should I be living as a Christian? Number four, we should humble ourselves. There's a passage, there's a whole passage here from really the middle of verse number 8 all the way through verse 10 that talks about humbling yourself. Verse 10 actually says the words, but in verse number 8 it begins to tell us how we humble ourselves. It says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. But then it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And then it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. I believe this, after working at a church for 18 years, and um, just all of the staff and all the things, I feel like everyone's trying to promote themselves all the time, and the whole time the Bible saying, if you'll humble yourselves, I will lift you up. Stop trying to promote yourself. Try, stop trying to make yourself look good and get to the point where you say, I don't look good. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And we have to remind ourselves and, uh, that we are, we're just a sinner who's saved by grace. I wrote down several things here under humble yourself. How do we humble ourselves? Routinely confess your sin to God. Routinely re remind yourself that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Number two, acknowledge your sin to others. I believe that Paul did this well, but it's also found in James chapter number 3 and verse 2 and James chapter number 5 and verse 16. But Paul said, I am a chief of sinners. He let everybody know, I'm a chief of sinners. We acknowledge our sin to others. We take wrong patiently when somebody wrongs us. We receive correction and feedback from others graciously. There was a pastor in the Phoenix area, and any time he would receive any type of negative feedback, he would say the same exact thing. He would say, thank you so much for caring enough to tell me what you just told me. I'm going to pray about that, and I'm going to get back to you. Being able to take criticism or take any type of correction 
I love what uh, Jesus did as he was on earth. And as you follow his example, he, 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 was, he surrounded himself with people of a lower state. Luke chapter number 7, verses 36 through 39, Jesus was derided by the Pharisees for socializing with the poor and those of lowly estate. Our culture is very status conscious, and people naturally want to socialize upward. But we've got to resist that temptation and be partial to those, uh, and not be partial to anybody. Um, purposely associate with people of a lower state. Accept a lowly place. Be willing to serve others. Be quick to forgive. Forgiveness is probably one of the greatest acts of humility that we can do. To forgive is to acknowledge a wrong that has been done to us and to also further release our right for repayment for the wrong. Forgiveness is denial of self. Forgiveness is not insisting on our way and our justice. And forgiveness as a Christian ought to be freely, it ought to be fully, and it ought to be finally. Freely means we remember that we forgive because of what Christ has done for us. Fully means that it's all taken care of. And finally means that it never comes back up. That ought to be the Christian's goal as we humble ourselves and we begin to forgive others. We need to cultivate a grateful heart. Purpose to speak well of others. Ephesians chapter number 4 verses 31 through 32. Treat pride as a condition that always needs to be addressed. Committing to a lifestyle of dying to ourselves daily. The last thing that I wrote down under this is from verse number 11. Wisdom for life. Guard your tongue. The Bible says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There was a king, and he had two great servants, and he brought his servants before him one day, and he asked his two servants, he asked them two specific jobs. He turned to the one, and he said, I want you to go out into my kingdom, and I want you to find the most vile, the most wicked, and the most awful thing in my kingdom. He turned to the other, and he said, I want you to go to my kingdom, and I want you to find the sweetest, the greatest, and the best thing in my kingdom. He gave both of the men the same amount of time. He gave them three days. And after those three days expired, those two servants came back. And those two servants came back, and the king wanted to know what each man had for him. And he turned to the one, and he said, What is the most vile, the most wicked, the most terrible thing in my kingdom? Then he turned to the other, and he said, What is the sweetest and the greatest and the best thing in my kingdom? And both of them had the same answer, the human tongue. James talks a lot about the tongue, and even in our short passage here, he's already mentioned twice about our speech. You know what the Bible says? It's probably one of my favorite verses after we're saved. And when you're thinking about this, I had our, our kids that I teach in our Christian school, I had them memorize this this year. The Bible says this about our conversation. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You know what that does? That stops a lot of fighting. That gets our hearts and our minds where they're supposed to be. That gets our life on track when we begin to get to the point where every time that I open my mouth, it's going to be the gospel of Christ. It's going to be the work of the Lord. But we've got to guard our tongue. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. As we look at this and we see these warnings and we see this wisdom, ask this question, why is it so important? 
Why is it so important what I do with my life? Why is it so important that I, I, I look for this uh, warnings for life and I stop fighting and I stop lusting and I stop being selfish and I stop being unfaithful? Why do I need to look for wisdom to submit to God and resist the devil and draw an eye to God and humble ourselves and guard our tongue? That leads us to number three. What is life? What is life? James chapter number four, same passage, verse number 14. The Bible says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. My grandpa, it's been 20 years since my grandpa passed away this month, January 5th. It's been 20 years since he passed away. And I was out of town when he passed away. And my parents and uh, family went over to his apartment. And they were going through his stuff. And somebody pointed out that on the coffee table, um, there was a daily bread there. And that daily bread was opened up. And the day that my grandfather died, the daily bread that he read, this verse was right there. What is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanisheth away. You say, why is it so important that I look at these warnings? Why is it so important that I take this wisdom and apply it to my life? C.T. Studd said it like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I took that phrase a few years ago and I broke it down. Life is singular, only one life. I had a friend who was a funeral director, and we did many funerals together. And he would have me speak, and then he would get up at every single funeral that he ever did for 40 years. And he would tell that family, as part of his ministry, he'd say, this is not a dress rehearsal. He'd say, I've never done two funerals for the same person. You have one life. And what you do with your life is so important because this is not a dress rehearsal. Only one life. Life is singular. It will soon be passed. Life is short. I've had the privilege to be at the bedside of Christian saints. My dad, one of them. People that have lived their life and they're now there on the bed and they can no longer get up. The Bible says there's coming a day where no man can no longer work. And that may be because the Lord comes, and that may be because your time is up. And I've sat there beside saints who have, I would say, have served the Lord. You know what almost every single one of them has said? I wish I'd done more for the Lord. Without fail, they all said, it went so fast. We'd be sitting there with somebody who's 100 years old, and they say, my life went so fast. Life is short. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Life is serious. It's singular, it's short, and it's serious. Your life this evening is important. God has a plan for your life. I don't care what age you are. God has a plan for you. Our responsibility, take these warnings that he's given us. Oh, we've got to stop living in the flesh. Begin to draw near to Him and allow Him to order our steps. This evening, there's still only two things on the shelf. And with your life, you will choose to either serve God 
or to serve self. As we close this evening, I want to do something that may be a little bit unorthodox, but I like business deals, and so tonight I'd like to do a business deal as an illustration. I'd like to do a deal with somebody in the room, and so if you have a pocketbook or anything like that, I'd like you to get it out. I'm going to make a transaction with one person in the room this evening, and uh, I would like somebody to bring me 50 cents. 50 cents. So start looking. 50 cents. Anybody, it's, it's okay if you give it to a child and they bring it up here. Whatever you want to do. The first person to bring up 50 cents, I'm going to make my transaction with you. If anyone even has coins. I don't know. What, oh, Autumn is going to be our one here. Okay? It's perfect. Is it 50 cents? All right. So here's the transaction. that. Oh, wow. One piece, 50 cents. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. All right, stay over here, Autumn. We're going to make a deal, okay? You hold on to your 50 cents, all right? And here's the deal that I'm going to offer you. You can decline if you want. I'm going to offer you $50 for your 50 cents. How many are wish? <laughs> they said do it. What do you want to do? Yes or no? She's probably feeling guilty. You know what I'm saying? That's how she is. I'm making the deal for you because it's a great deal. All right? All right, you can be seated. How many would say that I made a good deal? No one. How many are wishing that you get your 50 cents out faster? <laughs> yeah, several of you, okay? I want this 50 cents to represent something for, for us for a few moments this evening. I want this 50 cents to represent your life. This 50 cents right here represents your life, and most people go throughout their whole life holding on to that 50 cents like it has such great value. And I want to do this, and I want to do that. And I know I'm supposed to submit to God, and I know I'm supposed to draw near to Him, and I know I'm supposed to do all of these things, but I want, and they hold on to their life like this. There's a passage in the Scripture that's dealing with our life, Matthew chapter number 19, Peter begins to ask Jesus a question. And he says this, he says, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus answered and said this, And everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Let me read that again real quick. Shall receive a hundredfold, a hundred times, and shall inherit eternal life. It's not talking about heaven. He's saying those that get to the point where they'll give me their life, I'm going to give them a hundredfold what they would have ever done. And eternal life. But if we're not careful... We'll go throughout our whole lives saying, this has such value. This is what I want to do. I know that I probably shouldn't be going down this path. I know that I probably shouldn't be doing this. I know that, I know that the Lord promises that he has a plan for me. I know that the Lord promises that uh, he has things that we cannot even imagine or think for ourselves. But I feel like on this one, I'm going to keep doing it myself. The Bible says your life is not your own. 
You are bought with a price. We're to give our life back to him. And everybody that was in this room agreed that that was a great transaction for Autumn and that I made a terrible one. But if we're not careful, we'll go throughout our whole life and we'll do the exact same thing. We'll hold on and we never give our life to the Lord. We never truly submit to God. We never truly resist the devil. We never really draw close to him and have that relationship. And I want to encourage you here at Berean Baptist Church tonight to allow him to use your life. He'll do things that you can't imagine or think. Every day of your life, remembering that life is singular, life is short, and life is serious because only what's done for Christ will last. Father, we're so thankful for your word this evening. And Father, I ask, Father, that you would just help us to think. Think about what we have to offer and what you're offering us. Father, what you have planned for us and what you want to do for us. And Father, we already understand that every good and perfect gift comes from you. But Father, I pray that there be somebody here. Maybe it's a teenager. Maybe it's a senior citizen. Maybe it's somebody who's just been doing things their own way. And they, they haven't followed the warnings. And uh, Father, they, they hear the wisdom. But um, Father, I pray that they'll begin to take steps toward you. That they'll begin to draw close to you with the desire to get to know you. And the desire to give you their life. Father, I pray that it be a help and a, make a difference in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.